Lord, your word teaches that it is by hearing that faith is born. May we hear your voice as your word is spoken and read. May we hear with understanding and may faith be kindled and fanned into a living flame. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, two weeks ago, um, we were in the seventh chapter. Remember now, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, both in the daily devotions. It was a wonderful coincidence. I, hadn't, I don't have the wisdom or the gifts to have planned it, <laughs> that, that the daily devotional has been right in the same section that I've been preaching from. But I've been trying to be sure that while God allows, I, I don't cease to try to be a partner with God and with you, all of you, in the life of our community being brought to a place where we are actually willing, we are actually corporately willing to be reformed under the Word of God. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Well, I mean that we are willing for God Almighty, if needs be, to show us anything that, that is amiss among us, anything that we are kind of wedded to or committed to or is a part of how we just think things are for us that might be contrary to what he wants, um, that we would be ready and willing, if, if necessary, to see that God needs to make some changes and um, that, that we're, we're submitted to the Word of God, that we don't just say that we are, but that we really are. And, um, and that if there are things that maybe we haven't known, that we ought to know, and the Lord begins to reveal that to us, that we would embrace it. And if there's work for us to do that we haven't been doing, that we would begin to do it. And if there are anything that we've been doing that we ought to stop, might have been wonderful once, it might have been a good thing once, but if the, Lord, if the Lord's will is that it be laid down or laid aside, that we are willing. Now, all of that captures being willing to be reformed under the Word of God. Um, it, it means being willing to allow the Word of God to shape our corporate life as well as our individual lives. And we've been through a season in America, it, it seems to me, in which the individual side of the life of the Christian faith has been so overemphasized, so over-focused uh, um, on, that large swaths of people, men and women, who consider themselves Christians have no understanding or very li limited understanding of the central place of the body of believers, of the community of the faithful, of the congregation of God's people that is the local expression of the body of Christ. So that it's become very normal for us. It's become very normal for me. I drive by buildings all the time in which people are meeting today in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I know nothing about them. I don't think about them. 
I'm, 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 I'm rarely remembering to pray for them. I'm just fixated on us. Am I unique? I doubt if I'm unique. But the truth is that every believer that's in our, in our world, let alone our own little town, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of the reasons that we worship separately are not wrong. They're, they're not contrary to God's will. They're not against God, and they're not against the word of God. But it's real possible for us to have attitudes that are contrary to God's word and God's will. And we're in a section of Matthew's gospel. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because it, it was given by the Lord to a group of men and women willing to go out of their way to hear more from Jesus and to learn more from Jesus beginning to sense or believe or think that God had really sent him. Remember now, in the beginning, there were people who knew him when he was a kid. There were people who knew Joseph, who I believe is deceased and not alive when Jesus enters into his public ministry. Um, There are people who know Mary, There are people who know the other sons and daughters of Joseph because Joseph had other children before he married Mary. And so they're called in the scriptures, Jesus' brothers and sisters. But they were not born of Mary. That's my deep conviction and the conviction of the church in general. So there were people that are in the midst of, well, who called this, who called him to preach? Where's he get off, uh, you know, behaving like a rabbi? Who did he he study under? Did he go to Clemson or Carolina? Is he a citadel guy paying for his college education, or was he free at West Point? No, I mean, I'm being silly. I apologize, and I ask you to forgive me, Lord. The, The point is that there's a transition that's going on between well, there's something happening. I'm hearing stories. I begin to wonder. I begin to listen. I begin to hear. And then I discover there's going to be an extended time of teaching. And, and you know, it could have lasted over multiple days. But, but Matthew has encapsulated the teaching of those days in three chapters. And we've been making our way through it. And I've said to you, and I believe this, that the, the three chapters are meant to be the baby beginning, the nursery school for disciples. This is not graduate school for disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is elementary basic teaching from Jesus. And yet it's easy to ignore it. It's easy to overlook it. It's easy to jump through it because much of it challenges us. I mean, I've been consciously, willfully, um, imperfectly trying to follow Jesus for most of my adult life. But the Sermon on the Mount sets me down on my bottom. (laughs) There are parts of it that are still very tough and challenging for me. And I know that's true for you. I know that it's true for you because you're no different from me. 
And I'm no different from you. So as we're making our way through, we've heard how Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to have a disposition that is not the way the world sees things. You have to recognize that you are impoverished in comparison to what God wants you to be. You are, you are angry in ways that God doesn't want you to be. You are jealous. You are lustful. You are, you are difficult. You have all kinds of attitudes and ways that are not according to the word of God that has come to you already, let alone the word of God rightly understood in the light of the teaching of his son, his only begotten, the Messiah, the Christ. So people are going to say, to find out about him. And that's where we are. We're in that extended teaching. And two weeks ago, we, we were in the portion that starts the seventh chapter where Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. Um, by the judgment you judge, you will be judged. So if you have a harsh and judgmental spirit against your brother or your sister or your neighbor or the last person that hurt you or whatever it is, if you are holding a harsh judgment against that person, do you want to be judged that same way? Because if that's what you persist in, that's what's going to come. And, and we've seen that, and we, we recognize that. Now, I tried to point out that the great problem in our day is that people who don't love Jesus, who don't care about God's word, who don't want God's will, they know that verse. And they like to turn it on Christians. And I tried to help you see, if you didn't already know, that there's a big difference between discerning, which is a kind of judging. There is a difference between judging what is right from what is wrong, judging what is true from what is false, uh, judging what is holy from what is unholy, that we must, we must engage in. Rarely a day goes by in my life when I don't hear or see or read or watch something that the pigs are trampling. The truth of God that's being despised and rejected and trampled underfoot by people who want those of us trying to live for God and the truth of God to be considered the bad ones, the evil ones, the ones who are in error. So I know that probably for you, just as much as for me, I've hated verse 6, the first verse I had to read today. I really don't like that verse. I have not liked that verse my whole adult life. I've never read it out loud on a Sunday before. I've certainly never preached about it. Uh, don't give to the dogs what is holy. Don't toss your pearls before the pigs because they'll trample on them and then turn to devour you. There might be a man in this congregation today who has hunted wild pigs, uh, boars, we often call them. I don't know, but they can hurt you. Do I have a witness over here from Newton? Yeah, they can hurt you. And if you grew up on a farm 
anywhere in the Midwest. I don't know about down here, but I know if you grew up in a farm anywhere across the northern swath of the United States of America and were ever around pigs, you know they are not a pretty animal. They'll eat anything. I mean anything. And they, they, they're, they're not a pleasant animal. Now remember what Kenneth has been reminding us. It's a truth that Kenneth has brought to our attention. These things were written not to us, but for us. So in Jesus' day, dogs, dogs were dirty. Dogs were not pets. Dogs were not in people's houses. Dogs were not pampered over in billions of dollars spent. More sometimes in some years spent on dogs than health care for people in our culture right now, which is, I don't even need to tell you what it is. But dogs were scavengers. Cynthia and I served in Bangkok, Thailand um, um, a number of years ago. And Bangkok, Thailand, when we were there, was thought to have 12 million people. And it probably had a million dogs. And they ran free, and nobody kept dogs in their homes except Westerners, people like us that might move there temporarily. But, but to the Thai, the dogs ran loose in the streets, and they were, they, were, they were not nice. And they were scavengers. Anything that fell, they ate. Anything that got left behind, they ate. They got into the garbage cans like raccoons do here. <laughs> you know? So they were not a pleasant animal in the, in the time in which Jesus lived. And... God had told Israel by the law of Moses not to eat the flesh of pigs. So they were a despised animal. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, there's, there's things that are, you've been given that you have to be very careful what you do with those things. Now remember, it comes right after he said, if you're trying to take a speck out of your brother's eye or your sister's eye, and you've got a big old log in your own, stop! You've got to get that log out of your eye. Then you can help your sister. Then you can help your brother. The point of the, 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 the picture that he's painting right before this verse is being in a position to be helpful to your brother or sister. To be able to be a part of helping someone who's misunderstanding or heading in the wrong direction or thinking the wrong thing or teaching the wrong thing or preaching the wrong thing. You, you ought to be helping them. It's part of your duty. It's part of your calling. How can you not care? How can you not care if your brother is in error or your sister is in error? or if things are going awry that shouldn't, or things are being despised that shouldn't be despised, or spoken against that shouldn't be spoken against. Of course you have to care. But if you're not paying attention to your own life, if you're not wanting your own life to be lived right, how dare you try to correct someone else? And immediately after that, which is actually about how to be a disciple. A disciple is supposed to be helping other disciples. A follower of Jesus is supposed to be helping other people to become followers of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is supposed to bring correction to a brother or sister in error, but in love and humility. And that's what Jesus is saying when he mentions dogs and pigs. 
Um, and, and, and actually, the rest of this, this reading, the, the verses from verse 6 to verse 11 that I read, are actually about that, what we have to give and share with other believers. That's what that's about. If you go back and look at it after service, I hope that all of you are growing in your habit of looking at the Word of God for yourselves, reading it for yourselves, marking it for yourselves, praying over it for yourselves, thinking about it for yourself, talking about it. If you're so blessed to have someone in your own household who wants to talk about the things of God, who wants to grow in the things of God, to learn the things of God, and you'll see that giving is the thread. Don't give what you shouldn't give. But give this way, not that way. Give this way, not that way. Give this way, not that way. Because don't you know your heavenly Father wants to give you good things? How can you be other than that? You want to give good things in your relationship with others. That's what Jesus is teaching about here. The earliest sermon that I remember as a child, I might have shared this before, but I, I hope you will forgive me if I have. And somebody tells me I've shared it five or six times, then I, I truly repent in advance. But I, I was about six years old, I think I had just turned six, when my father's work took us from the, the small town where we lived to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And it was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that I had my first memories of church. We went to a little Episcopal church called St. Stephen's. I think it was St. Stephen's. And I remember one thing. I remember one Sunday and one sermon. And we were there for the better part of a year, but I only remember one. It's the first sermon I ever remember. And there must have been something in the popular culture. I don't know if it was a Broadway play or a movie that somehow or another involved a solid gold Cadillac. Is there anyone in the room that could remember that at all besides me? It would be 1950 or 1951. And the priest in the sermon said, and this is what I remember, so if you want a solid gold Cadillac, Ask God for it. So he obviously was teaching and preaching that day about prayer. And then he said, but I tell you, I can see him. He went, but I tell you, if you pray for rain, you better have a rowboat. Because the rain might come. So as silly as that is, that's what I remember. But the reason I remember it is because most of us, when we hear Jesus go on today and say, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Or if you were paying attention in the reading from 1 John, a letter that all of us, all of us should, should digest and read over really regularly, the first letter of John. You heard John say, if you ask, you'll receive. And if you paid attention to the psalm, you'll say, may we, the, the psalmist David says, may God give you your heart's desire. Maybe this is what that priest was preaching on that day. But I'm here to say to you, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. That you get a solid gold Cadillac, 
or that you get rain for your crops, although I don't think it's wrong to pray for rain for your crops. What he's trying to say is, you won't have anything good to give to others unless you are asking for it for yourself. You won't have anything good to give to your brother or your sister. You won't have godly correction to bring. You won't have encouragement to bring. You won't have life to bring if you're not asking for it, if you're not seeking it, if you're not persevering and knocking. I want it. He's talking about wanting what God wants for us, for me that I might be helpful to you. And wanting you to want what God wants for you, that you would be helpful to me. That as the body of God's people, we would live under his praise. We wouldn't just sing his praise. We would know his praise, his blessing. We would know his pleasure as that wonderful vignette from Chariots of Fire uh, when Eric Liddell says, but when I run, Jenny, I can feel his pleasure. God wants the church to, to know that. God wants individual believers to know that, and he wants the corporate fellowship of his people to know that. But it will not be so if we don't ask for it to be so. And it will not be so if we don't seek for it to be so. Because that takes effort. It's like the people that had to go up the mountain to hear the teaching. It's not enough. It's important. It's critical. It's right. It's good. It is our duty to be here on Sunday. It is. But it's not enough. There's probably not a person in the room that won't ask God for something holy today. We're going to ask for holy things. We already have. We've sung for holy things to be true. And we're going to pray that holy things will be true. And we're going to handle holy things. And we're going to receive holy things. But if we're not seeking holy things when we go home today, if we're not asking for them when we go home today, if we're not wanting them when we go home, and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, then we're not asking and seeking and knocking for what God wants. Because what he wants is that we want his will done in our lives. That his will might be done in other lives. And we are a part of that. And so he says you have to ask. And you have to seek. And you have to knock. And when you do that, the door will be opened unto you. The seeker will find. The asker will be heard. But the things that we are to be asking for, seeking for, and knocking for are the things that God wants for us. And as you know, everyone in the room that has followed Jesus for even a few short weeks knows not everything we want comes. Not everything we ask for comes. Not everything we look for do we find. Not everything we seek do we find. But if we want the will of God done in our lives, we will be heard. If we're seeking for God's will in our lives, we will find. If we don't give up but keep knocking, we will have the door open to us. 
And then we have something to give away. Then we have something to share. Then we have something that, not just life for me, but life for others. God only wants good gifts given to his people. But we are terribly prone to think that everything good is earthly. And, and it's just how we are. A dear brother in Christ, a wonderful man, dear, dear friend, um, long gone to the Lord, um, was a banker in the Chicago, Illinois area. Um, and um, the last banker in, in the state of Illinois to be the head of a private bank. At least one person in this room knows what that means. It was a family-owned bank that was still standing and functioning well in 1998. And God only knows how much wealth that means that family had to have to have a private bank that was a chartered bank. I'll get a witness from Drew later. But, um, but he became a friend of mine when he, when he learned about my desire to help new, in those days, new um, churches begin in the Episcopal community. New Anglican, we would say today. And I got to know him well. And, and one time he was in a meeting, a church meeting, uh, a, a significant meeting where a number of decisions were made that he thought were wrong. And um, he was greatly grieved. He was a member of a board. And, um, but he was quite a well-to-do man, so he didn't travel cattle class. So he was in the front of the airplane in the days when you, they served drinks. And before they took off, the stewardess came up to him and said, Mr. Jones, would you like something to drink? And he said, I'd like a double scotch. And so she went away and she came back. And, and when she came back, tears were running down his cheeks. And, and she said, are you okay? And he said, I will be. Uh, but after I drink this one, could you bring me another one? <laughs> he was a big man. Anyway, when he told this story to me, he went on to say that as they, they were flying from the east to, the, to Chicago, he was in a deep inner dialogue with the Lord and really upset. And, and he just was saying, Lord, why? Why, why did that board meeting go that way why and he told me that he had the impression that the Lord spoke to him and he said this is what he heard he said the Lord said to me well you know how you people are I love that really well you know how you, in other words you're all a bunch of sinners and so sinners don't always make good choices and make good decisions. But God wants sinners to make good choices. You got to knock. You got to seek. You got to ask. It's got to become your will, your desire, your heart, and your actions that you want God's will done in your life. And that that becomes the very life itself to you. That's the journey that a Christian is on. That's the journey of a Christian woman or a Christian man. However many days God gives us. So while we are alive, while we still have breath, we have to pay attention to how our lives are unfolding. And the asking and the seeking and the knocking 
needs to be for the will of God to be done in me and the will of God to be done on earth. And we've got to care about both. If we're only caring about one, we're not obeying our Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask that by the grace that you alone can give, the sweet and wondrous grace that you alone can give, that alone can save, that alone can guide, that alone can lift up, that that sweet grace be given to us, poured out in abundant measure. Lord, you are the king of grace, the very king of grace. Pour it out upon us and put into our hearts a desire to ask and to seek and to knock, to know your will and to walk in it, to learn and grow in it and in love and charity and with mercy, learn how to share it with one another that we would become the people you long for us to be, redeemed, drawn into your life, drawn into your love, and raised from the grave with you to live the life that we were created to live. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your holy name. We ask it in your name, and we say amen. Amen.